Well, I invite you to turn with me this evening in your copies of God's Word to the book of Philippians. Philippians, we are moving away from Mark this evening and turning to Philippians in chapter 3, this great letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. As we consider this evening the resurrection of Christ. And we'll look indirectly at it through this great passage as Paul instructs and encourages both the believers in the first century and us today. But before we go to God's word, let us turn to him for help and assistance. Let us pray. Father, we come humbly before you and seek your face. May this evening... May your people, may we behold the risen Christ as we hear your word. Send your spirit to make your word effective. Thank you that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I pray that the love of Christ Presbyterian Church may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, according to Marvel comic lore, Howard Stark made an incredible invention, the arc reactor. He was an inventor that became very wealthy with this invention. And it was so great, it provided energy for his whole complex of weapons manufacturing. But it was Howard Stark's son, Tony, who made a powerful miniature version of the arc reactor. And he, following in his father's footsteps, was also an inventor. And his most important invention was the Iron Man armor. Now, the Iron Man armor, when powered with the arc reactor, made Tony Stark almost invincible. His suit came alive. He had so many powers had immense powers and defeated many enemies with it. But without that arc reactor, Tony is a mere man. He's not Iron Man. He's just a man in a metal shell. It was the arc reactor that provided the power for Tony Stark to be a superhero, Iron Man. There's no Iron Man without the arc reactor. As we think about the Christian life, there's no Christian without Christ's resurrection. How many of us live daily 
as if Jesus' resurrection is playing a central role in our lives. But Paul tells us otherwise. He wants to live in the power of this resurrection. The resurrection is a central part of his daily life. Just the way the arc reactor was empowering Iron Man every day. Christ's resurrection is the life source for the Christian life. And indeed, it was that third day after Christ was crucified, when the women went to the tomb to find his, to to embalm a, a dead body, to preserve it from rotting in the tomb. They found it empty. They found a man who said, he is not here, he is risen. And it is on that third day where the resurrection didn't even make sense yet, but it was announced. And we celebrate that, yes, every Sunday as we gather as God's people. But Paul is making a particular point that that same resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago still matters today. It matters in many ways. We can talk about many different reasons why the resurrection is important. But we want to this evening consider why Paul says it's important in the Christian life here in Philippians 3. One narrow issue. And he speaks of the power of Christ's resurrection. One commentator says that this power of Christ's resurrection is a present, continuously active force in Paul's growth as a believer. This is something that's constant in his life. It is something that's propelling and driving and giving him energy. It's supernatural, we could say. It's spiritual. In other words, it comes from the Holy Spirit. This is not something that dwells with us within us naturally. But this is the Holy Spirit that gives us this power. And it makes us more like Christ, draws us closer to God throughout our life, and it's fuel for the Christian living. And of course, this is grounded in the actual historical resurrection of Jesus Christ in space, in history. Paul lays out for us, there's really two ways to live. He lays it out in this passage, forsaking one way and, and grasping onto the other one. He says, you could live for worldly gain, or you can live to know Christ. One or the other, mutually exclusive. He says you can live for a righteousness that comes from the law, a righteousness based on my good works, or you can have a righteousness from God, a gracious gift of Christ's righteousness to you. You can live in your own power, which results in death, or you can live in a resurrection life. And so all must choose which path. And the Christian has left all to embrace Christ, to come to Christ. We all must make this decision. Will we come to Christ or will we go this second path? Because Christ gives the power of Christ's resurrection, because God gives the power of Christ's resurrection to his people. The Christian is free to die that he might experience true life. So we'll look at this passage in two parts. First is the Christian's death. And the second is the Christian's resurrection life. So let's consider the Christian's Death, And this is the death to that first way of living. And the first kind of death that he speaks of is a death to my righteousness and worldly advancement. He says in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Whatever gain I had. And these were good things on some level. He counted as loss. This, this term, counting as loss, is a business term. It's as if you put an investment in on, on you're starting a company, you, you put everything you can into it. And after six months, 12 months, 18 months, you realize it's not a uh, successful venture. So you cut your losses, you count it all as loss. You know you're not going to gain anything with it. 
and you move on. That old business venture is dead to me. You cut it off. And that's what Paul's saying, even with these things that are considered gain. He says, I'm counting it as loss. It's actually no gain whatsoever. I count it as loss. In verse 8, he uses a strong word, rubbish, trash, even dung. All of this worldly gain is loss. It's no good to me. Paul recounted in the, in the few verses before what we read, many advantages he had in life. Many things that he was the greatest at. And he says, I count them all as lost. A couple of things. He was a Roman citizen, which was very rare in that day. His parent probably speaks to the wealth of his parents, the status of his parents in the Roman Empire. They were wealthy. He had incredible training. It's like maybe he went to Harvard Law School. When you go to Harvard Law School, every door in the world opens for you. You can go work wherever you want. Work in government, clerk for a judge, become a judge, work in a law firm, make lots of money. Whatever you want to do. This is what he did. He, he clerked with the greatest scholar in the world at that time. He, many doors were opening to him. He was a, a rising star among the Pharisees. He had everything. He had an incredible uh, path ahead of him. And what does he do? He says, I count it all as loss. He gave it up. No stock in them. Put no trust in these things. He did not look for his ultimate comfort and hope in them. Why? It doesn't really go into all that here. But we can see it leads nowhere. What good is it if I gain the world, but you lose your soul? Paul realized that he was gaining the world, but it led to nothing. But it took a Christ coming to him and the Spirit working on his heart to realize this truth. But now he says, in light of what Christ has done in him, to give him a new heart... Being given this resurrection life, he now understands that this is death. That worldly gain is no better than death itself. He says in verse 9, about a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He doesn't pursue a righteousness that comes from the law any longer. That was his life until, that, until Christ came to him on the road to Damascus. He was pursuing righteousness by faithfulness. Pursuing acceptance with God by obedience to the law. He said, no, that's not where righteousness comes from. His reference point changed at that point in time. From what does the world value to what does God value? And this is the Christian's death to the world. We no longer consider what the world says about us as the most important thing. Say, what does God value? What is required of me before God? It's the power of the resurrection at work in us to let us even ask that question, let alone to answer it, let alone to walk down this path of denying the world that we might look to Christ. So we, the Christian's death is, is to my righteousness, my worldly advancement, but also it's to sin. The Christian dies to sin. And the verse 80 says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything good that he's talked about before, but also my sin, right? I died to my sin. I counted as loss. I put it behind me. I move on from sin. Every sinful way of living, every sinful way of thinking, every sinful desire, I count it as loss. I move on. This is in the past. I want to move forward in a new life now, in a resurrection life. So the Christian dies to sin. This is what Paul's saying in Romans 6. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? He's saying, you 
have been united to Christ. And when he died, you died to the world. Your sins have died. You are no longer that old man. Paul goes on to say, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Saying you died with Christ and you rose with Christ. Therefore walk in this new way that you might walk in newness of life. To die to self is to live in resurrection power and it's to experience real life. We were not created to be in bondage to sin. We're not created to be enslaved to sin. And so dying to that is life because we can now walk in step with the gospel, walk in newness of life. This this leads to real joy and contentment and love, all grounded in the resurrection of Christ. As we read these first few verses of this passage, I can't help but think this applies to all of us in so many ways. Who among us is not tempted to run after all of those, those great worldly things out there? Worldly treasures, worldly accomplishments, safety running after safety or or financial security or having influence or trying to create order in my life. I'm I'm running after these things, thinking I'm going to find some contentment and satisfaction in these things. There's so many things that are propelling us in this world. And we need to be like Paul and saying, no, I I count this all as lost. My order, my security, my, 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 my financial safety blanket, my accomplishments, my influences is nothing compared to Christ. I care more about Christ than all this world has to offer. And this resurrection life in which Paul is living enables us to see sin for what it really is, death. Enables us to see the world for what it really is, is death. So we can in turn kill it in us by the power of the Spirit. It's not just the big things, not just the murders, not just committing adultery, just the anger, it's the lusts. Of the heart. These tiny untruths we perpetuate to, to look better. No, we die to every one of these sins. We put it to death. We say, no more. I move on from this. But the Christian life is constantly coming back to Philippians 3. Of course, we don't achieve that in this life. We put to death the world. We put to death our sin. We come back to Philippians 3 over and over, constantly dying to our own righteousness we're creating in our own imaginations. We're dying to those things we're pursuing and constantly coming back to Christ because we have new life in him. We have a life that's better than what the world offers. We have a life better than sin offers. Whatever temptation is alluring you with, there's something greater than that in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so resurrection life shows us there is a better way than the world and sin. And so this is the Christian's death, this ongoing dying to self, dying to the world, dying to sin. And so let us consider what Paul says about the Christian's resurrection life. The Christian's resurrection life. What's essential here is that the life of resurrection that the Christian lives is grounded in Christ. It is only because of Christ. It's completely, entirely dependent upon Christ. And this is Paul's point in in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ did not die, our faith is in vain. 
If he did not rise again, there is no hope for you. We are completely dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he did not raise from the dead, we all just should go home. We're wasting our time. And so the fact that that we have a resurrection life, we cannot miss the fact it's grounded in that third day, on that first resurrection day, that Christ was not in the tomb. He is not here. It is empty because he has conquered sin and death. He is now declared the son of God in victory. There is no resurrection. There is no Jesus. It's not what Jesus has done for you. He has accomplished salvation for you by resurrecting from the dead, but it's what Jesus is also doing in you. So Jesus for you, what he's accomplished for you, but Jesus in you. Jesus is still active and alive and working in our lives. And that's Paul's point here. He says the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of course, knowing here is not just intellectual assent to that reality, but knowing is an intimate knowledge, a personal connection of knowing Christ personally. That's what he's speaking of. In order, he says in order in verse verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ. He wants Christ, his person, not just something Christ has done for him, but he wants the very person of Jesus Christ. He desires relation and and knowledge of him and relationship with him. And what does he say in verse 9? And be found in him. To be found united to Christ. To be found robed in his righteousness, but also robed, covered in in Jesus himself, who knows us as he makes himself known to us. So there, there is this, uh, theologians will say, mystical union we have with Christ. We, not in a mystical, mystic sense, but a, a relational sense. We are united to him and we, we are empowered by this union. So even now we have this resurrection power. We have Christ himself. We have the risen Christ dwelling in us. This power to transform, to motivate us, to enable us to experience the same Father's delight that Jesus has and to live righteous before him. So this Christian resurrection life is in Christ, inextricably uh, linked to Christ. But our resurrection life is also in suffering. Because the Christian is not released from suffering now. We don't have your best life now. We don't have worldly prosperity now. We don't get it all now. Life is not about seize the day to get what you can, to get ahead in life. Life is full of suffering. Paul writes in Acts, or Paul says uh, in, in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, in Acts 14, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, many trials, life is difficult, full of suffering and pain. And this is where the Christian can rejoice. Not because suffering is going away, but now suffering is put in a new context. A context of resurrection. Now Paul says, yes, we share in Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in his death in verse 10. But the resurrection power gives us strength to suffer well. We do suffer, but we now have life in this midst of the suffering. God has not left us to fend for ourselves. It's not, I've got my, my, my get out of hell free card, and whatever happens in this life, I'm on my own, and I wait one day to, to go to God. No, we, God is with us, protecting and preserving his people now. 
and today by the risen Christ and his spirit. So God has not left us to fend for ourselves. And so we know in the midst of suffering, though suffering won't go away. We're not, we're not even promised that we'll be alleviated suffering in this life as Christians. But as we walk through it, God is with us. And even more directly, as it comes to persecution as Christians, Jesus says if the master is rejected and persecuted, the disciples should expect the same thing. So Christians should expect a level of persecution and maybe even a rising persecution in our day. But the Christian must learn to suffer well, to trust, to come to God humbly, to honor him in all things. And when the world comes crashing down, we have something that is greater than this life. We have Christ himself, the resurrected Christ. We have the power of his resurrection in us. So that in our sufferings, we can experience the power of the resurrection. We can know joy and hope and life. We have Christ. And so this resurrection puts our suffering in perspective. It puts this life in perspective. The resurrection shows us there's something greater than what this world offers. That includes our suffering. We can have hope and be patient to endure in suffering. So we have the Christian's resurrected resurrection life. It's in Christ and suffering. But Paul also turns our attention to glory. So the Christian's resurrection life in glory. And so the goal of all this comes at the, at the end of this section where he speaks, where he says this, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The goal is this, this resurrection from the dead for us, for you, and for me, for the Christian. This isn't just some, something that Jesus did that has no relevance for us, but it is also the path that we will find ourselves one day. In the grave, we will rise again by the power of Christ's resurrection. There's a future eternal orientation to this. It's interesting, Paul says, by any means possible, I want to attain this. It's kind of interesting language for us. We wouldn't probably usually talk that way. He's not speaking in that there's any doubt. He's not saying it's up to Paul to attain this or to earn this. But, but this is just a way of speaking, like saying, I'd do anything to go to that concert. I'd do anything to meet that celebrity. I don't know who it is for you. I'm not, I'm not sure I have one today, but I've had some in the past. But I'd do anything. That's what Paul's saying. I'd do anything for the resurrection of the dead. And before he said, I don't have a righteousness that, that allows me to get there. I have the righteousness from God. So he stakes this all on Christ, but it's a, a central desire to know the resurrection from the dead, to know this eternal life that he knows is there, that he himself would be raised from the dead. And the hope that we have as Christians, the hope we have is all because of Christ's resurrection. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we would have no hope because the tomb is empty. We know that we will be raised as well. That is the promise. So what Paul says, or yeah, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is is raised, there is no way that we will not be raised. Our death is now put into a greater eternal perspective. Death is not the end of the line. It's the beginning of eternity for the Christian. So there's great hope here. There's great hope for the Christian. This resurrection life gives us great hope that that, that we will know God for eternity. And this is why we care about an empty tomb. Jesus was not just some principle, or the Bible's not speaking of some principle of resurrection that we ought to follow in. Speaking of a, a historical reality, Because he rose from the dead. We have to come to terms with that. What do you do with this Jesus man who rose from the dead? Do you come to him? Or as a scholar, a famous scholar in California says, 
yeah, I think Jesus rose from the dead, but a lot of weird things happen. I don't know why. You have to know he rose from the dead and, and say, yes, he is the Lord. And his resurrection then means everything for us. And it gives us perspective. And the question is, how, so yes, this gives us hope, but how do we strengthen our hope? How do we live like there's hope? And Paul's refrain through this passage is no Christ. No Christ. To gain Christ, to come back to him. It is Christ himself that we need. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're, we're not tapping into some kind of special power. That's not what this is. The power of the resurrection is not tapping into some reservoir over here that we can get a little juice for today to get through a hard day. But this is Jesus himself. The power of the resurrection comes from Jesus himself as the Holy Spirit brings him to us and allows us to commune with him and to know him. And knowing him, you will know and experience this power. We will grow in understanding this power. So I ask you again, as we asked earlier, what difference does it make for you that Christ rose again? What difference does it make? What difference does it make in your life? 2019, the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York was interviewed by the New York Times. She made some stunning statements. She denies the resurrection and says, quote, that empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified and killed. It's a purely symbolic story for her. There's no historical meaning, and she goes on to say this. For me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim than that they put Jesus in the tomb and three days later he wasn't there. For Christians for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, that seems to me to be a pretty wobbly faith. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that then mean that Christianity was a lie? No. Faith is stronger than that. And go line by line and rip that to shreds, right? But can you imagine? We're thinking of the resurrection purely as an example to follow, purely as a moral story to say, yes, your love will never die. There's no hope there. That is simply saying, you've got to be a, you've got to love. It's up to you to love. It's putting a, a, a weight on your shoulder that you can't bear. Because we all know our hearts, we all know we can't love the way Christ is loved. You know, the, the empty tomb is not a law on your back now. The empty tomb is the gospel. The empty tomb means it is finished. Empty tombs mean, means it has been accomplished for you. Everything necessary for salvation has been accomplished for Jesus. The tomb, empty tomb is not law, it is gospel. We rejoice in that. We can find great comfort in that. Be reminded week after week. And that's why, that's why we worship on Sundays. That's why we don't worship on Saturdays as the Old Testament people of God did, because the reality of the resurrection is in here. The, the reality of our salvation being accomplished, being accomplished is here. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been accomplished. And so now we worship on this day of resurrection. I guess I'm pretty content with my wobbly faith because it is true. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. And it's not wobbly because it's not based on me and how strongly I believe it. It's based upon Jesus Christ, what he has done, and his hold upon me. The physical resurrection of Jesus is central. It's not just a nice thing that we celebrate. You and I need the resurrection. And praise God, we have a resurrected Savior 
And praise God, we get to live in the power of that resurrection day in and day out. There's hope. There's joy. There's contentment even in a life of suffering. But we can continue to look to our risen Savior as He communes with us as we're about to come to the table. And we can enjoy knowing Christ, gaining Christ, both now as we see through a mirror darkly, but then we will see Him face to face. Our risen Savior. Praise God.